Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. Jonah Lemons here, your podcast host, real estate entrepreneur, and a mom of six talented kids. Thank you so much for tuning in once again and for being a part of our podcast success. We have made it across the globe, from Canada to the US, Germany, Norway, Russia, Italy, Singapore, Philippines, just to name a few. I am so grateful for all the men and women listeners as we all break barriers amidst this COVID pandemic. And if you are just hopping on and new to this podcast, I recommend to check out the previous episodes in no particular order. It is to inspire the mindset growth, entrepreneurship development, real estate business, and beyond. Because I believe more than ever, this is what we need in order to start build and launch to the next level of our careers and our businesses. In the many more upcoming episodes and series, we will be collaborating with experts, professionals, and successful entrepreneurs who are sharing more about the psychology, the mindset growth, and what it takes to really launch into the business and careers that they are dedicating themselves moving forward in this new decade. And today's episode, I am so glad to bring this open conversation featuring David H. Evans and Dan Lokowitz, who share a LinkedIn network with me. And we all decided to talk about using LinkedIn as a platform to connect and develop our businesses, the best practices, potential challenges, and perhaps petty issues that we may face as the usual insight on experiences as brokers in the commercial real estate and investment industries, and more. As you can see, it doesn't matter if you are in another country, city, province, or professional industry, or businesses. We are all in this ecosystem to learn from each other and from conversations like this one. So come on in and let's get started. Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. David Evans is in the house and Dan Lukowitz. Hopefully I'm saying it correctly. And you know what? No big deal because my last name is actually Jonah Lemons. It sounds like lemon. Excited to bring you both on because I know we started off on LinkedIn with many different discussions and engagements. And by the way, I do love the engagement. I'm an engagement person versus content. That's what I learned in a short span of five months. So getting back on LinkedIn, um, figuring out how we go about during COVID and being in the position we're in, whether we're, you know, real estate professionals, real estate investors, or just someone that's, you know, an entrepreneur looking into this industry right now, because so much, you know, so much is happening around the global economy. So I want to welcome you both. And in no particular order, we're not going to have, you know, uh, topics uh, in such an order. I think it's really to encourage the discussions and your insight, your expertise. So I want to welcome you both. And we'll start with, obviously, the outside of LA, because I know David is in LA. But I want to start off with you, Dan, and share with us, you know, what is your profession? What expertise uh, you can offer? those that you may be needing to network with someone like you. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. First of all, Jonah, thanks for having me on Launch Your Wealth. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's uh, quite quite an opportunity. So yeah, my name is Dan Lukowitz. You did a great job of pronouncing the last name, which uh, not everybody does. So I appreciate that. Uh, by profession, I'm a commercial net lease investment sales broker, which means that I help <clears throat> assist buyers and sellers, investors, hedge funds, real estate investment trusts, et cetera, in their purchase and acquisition or sale and disposition of net leased assets. Net leased assets are properties that are typically rented by national tenants who have a, a net lease, typically a triple net lease. So the tenant themselves, whether it's Walgreens or Starbucks, Burger King, a large hospital system, Amazon, et cetera, they'll be the ones that are paying for the taxes, the insurance, the common area maintenance, and all uh, different expenses related to the property. The investor themselves will own the building typically and will receive mailbox money every month from this large national corporation. There are obviously exceptions where the landlord might be responsible for things like the roof and the structure uh, or certain management items or or, or common area maintenance. But in general, that's uh, how the profession works. I myself am also an investor. I've got a background. I've flipped probably close to, I don't know, I've lost count. 
maybe maybe 75 homes um, in and around the city of Detroit primarily and uh, invest nationwide in things like hospitality conversions to veterans housing. And I'm very interested in the multifamily space in terms of continuing my, my investment um, uh, trajectory by purchasing value add multifamily all over the country. That's really good to know that you're- Yeah. Are you, are you considering yourself transitioning slowly to the multifamily space? No, I've been, so I've been in the single and multifamily real estate investment space for quite some time, probably getting close to a decade. Um, I've been, you know, last several years, I've been more active as a broker and I kind of, I'm the type of guy, I'm, I love numbers. Um, I'm a broker. So that means that my, my math background needs me to be able to divide net operating income by price and come up with a cap rate. That's about it. Um, but, but basically uh, I see that the, there's some trends going on right now in this, uh, this current world or this post-COVID world, if you will. I believe that currently there is a major opportunity in this bloodbath of hospitality assets. And I personally believe, and I know that David and I have kind of gone toe to toe about this in some of the, the LinkedIn forums with you as well, Jonah, that there is an impending bloodbath and, and major opportunity in the multifamily space all across the country. I, I can definitely second that. I think it's, it's where you're looking. So, you know, for me, it doesn't really matter ABC in that sense, but, you know, that's a whole different topic. But I want to welcome David as well, um, even though, you know, we're local. I want to put him on this spotlight because he's got some really good stuff coming up. Yeah, thank you, Jonah, for having me. Uh, greatly appreciate the opportunity to spotlight. Um, so, yeah, so I'm a commercial real estate broker that focuses on apartment sales in the uh, South uh, LA County area for a company called Lion Stall Investment Real Estate. Uh, up until a couple few months ago, I was based in Chicago where I help people buy and sell apartment buildings um, in the Chicago South market. I'm also a multifamily investor where until a few months ago, I was hands on in the management of that asset as well. So my objective really in, my, in the space that I'm in is being able to help owners find investment opportunities that are more viable than the ones that currently exist, as well as market the upside to potential buyers as well. So that's just kind of a little bit of a narrative about me. Um, and then also kind of working on some projects as far as creating a online platform where people, where I can kind of provide summarized market data as far as what's going on in the multifamily space in California. So do you, do you feel that you solely want to focus here in California, in Los Angeles, surrounding areas or you know do you have do you see yourself going into other states or other cities aside from chicago and, and los angeles so yeah so you know what so on the brokerage side california is large enough i mean to be to be honest i think one of the challenges with the chicago market is that it's a very small market and it's not a very democratized market as far as brokerage goes so california is large enough and there's enough opportunities i think for everyone in this market so i think California, from a brokerage standpoint, is a large enough market for me to operate. That's, that's really good to know. I think, you know, Los Angeles itself is a different beast, you know, being here for, for the past four years. So it's quite interesting to see it during COVID. So, you know, let, let's, let's get right to the point, right? Let's, let's share about our experiences using LinkedIn as oh, wow. being a broker right? Being an investor, being an entrepreneur, because I tell you, I hear so many different perspectives. And most recently, I was glad to have this opportunity to be on a podcast, actually interviewed for a podcast, not me, but I interviewed and understanding the etiquette on LinkedIn, understanding how can we use that to leverage from doing our business and expanding that reach as far as oh, networking, yeah. sales, dealing with potential clients, I would love to hear the do's and don'ts, lessons you've learned, and in no particular order, I just want to kind of open it out that we're all human. We're yeah, all humans totally. Here. We make mistakes, totally. right? We make mistakes. We, we have challenges and issues along the way. And for me, I feel like LinkedIn has really opened up and, and broken the ice, so to speak, for us to really yep. communicate. I mean, that's how we all connected you know, taking a challenge or engaging in a post. So, but there's also the, the other side of that. So, you know, in no particular order, I mean, you know, tell me how you feel about LinkedIn at this so point. So you really, you really want to get us started, eh? I yes. hear that. And I'm excited because one of the things I'm most passionate about actually is LinkedIn, especially at this point in my career. So just as a real short aside, 
uh, as a as a net lease broker, um, I was making a thousand outbound calls a month for several years, and that's wow. how I generated my listings. And I highly recommend it to to all brokers. What I will tell you is I upped my game and I created what I call a LinkedIn 2.0 strategy, which I posted about uh, three days ago, actually. And now I went from a thousand outbound calls a month to literally zero. Uh, instead, I'm posting one to three times a day and I have more business than I can even wrap my hands around, hands around. I've hired an additional broker to work under me uh, as well as two administ administrative assistants. So, you know, at this point, I would say that LinkedIn, and I don't pay for LinkedIn. I use the regular LinkedIn. I don't pay for premium, not because I don't think you should, only because I haven't tried it, okay? And I would say that anyone out there who's listening or viewing and, and isn't at least looking at LinkedIn and examining LinkedIn and, and following people like, like David, myself, Jonah, and seeing what it does for us and for other professionals is really, really missing a, an incredible opportunity. I'll give you another example. I had a, a nice conversation with David on the way home from a trip I made on Wednesday to Cleveland. Now on the way to Cleveland, I stopped, uh, I met with a potential client, um, but I also on the way there, why did I go to Cleveland? There's a gentleman by the name of Marcus Ogden, who I'm a huge supporter of. I love the guy. We talk uh, a few times in the last month and Marcus is actually gonna be on my show next, next week. I have a show called Dan on Top, which is, it's Dan on Top of all things commercial real estate, where we interview real estate professionals, uh, specifically in the commercial real estate world from all over the world, uh, many of whom I met on LinkedIn. So Marcus and I met for the first time on Wednesday at an event where he was speaking to Liberty Home Mortgage uh, to about 40 or 50 loan officers in, in the Cleveland area. And Marcus got that gig because three years ago, Marcus hooked up with a guy named Hesh who owns Liberty and they met through Facebook. So here's Marcus who goes down there speaking, making five figures an hour speaking to amazing mortgage brokers. Here's Dan who drives two and a half hours away from his home and his family to meet with Marcus and meet with Hesh. And now we're all connected. We're all in groups together. We're all doing business together. So I think it's an incredible, that's an incredible, you know, example of the power of LinkedIn. I never would have met those people. I never would have had that conversation with David on the way home, never would have been on this podcast. And I wouldn't be doing the business that I'm doing if it weren't for LinkedIn. Uh, another great example is, you know, I do my pre-marketing on LinkedIn. If I have a listing, I put together a flyer, I drop that flyer in my groups. I throw that flyer up on LinkedIn and I've got major real estate investment trust and hedge fund managers who email me personally or send me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, Dan, what's your cell phone number? I never would have had exposure and connection to those people. So that's, that's the number one. The number two is, is, is if I could give some advice, I would say as follows. I think you froze. Dan, you froze. It's okay. We can I like little, I think it's right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that. So, so, so I think in outlines Two a would be, you know, uh, if you want to talk strategy, what you need to think about is that you should post valuable content every single day. I don't care if it's an article from CoStar that you repackage a short video telling people what you think they should be doing today in terms of getting going and, and motivating them or some professional studio content, which I really firmly believe in do that every single day. And as, as Jonah said to, to her point, it's very, very important to engage on other people's posts, to share their posts, to comment. That's how you build your brand. That's how you build your name and facial recognition, which is very, very important today. And then the other thing that I'll add is that you need to look at LinkedIn as an opportunity to put yourself on the same playing field as other experts. Reach out to the best person in your field. Engage with the best person in your field. Share with them, ask them questions almost as if you were in a round table in a room or in your home with them over dinner, have the same types of conversations. And then another very important thing is be yourself. I can't stress this enough. I had several people who reached out to me about a month ago. I was in New Jersey with my children. We went to the Statue of Liberty and I posted a picture of my kids. You know, I got four kids. I had a, one of my kids on my neck, on my shoulders, the other kid over here, one kid here, one kid there, one kid I don't even know, God knows where they were. And I was wearing you know, a tank top and shorts right with the Statue of Liberty in the background. I made a, a post about how my grandma saw the Statue of Liberty when she emigrated here in 1948. And now I'm here with my kids and it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. I got hundreds of comments and reactions on there. And I had specifically an individual, David Stanton, who I, I know and love, he reached out to me, he said, Dan, I wanna work with you. And, and I said, David, I've been, I've been chasing you for six months on LinkedIn. You don't even respond to my comments on your posts. He goes, you know why? I said, why? He goes, because for six months, 
the Dan in the suit and the tie with the slick back hair has been trying to catch me. But yesterday I was introduced to the Dan in the tank top and the t-shirts with the four kids on his shoulders. That's the Dan I want to work with. And I mean, that was super powerful. I think it's really true. So just be yourself, have fun, engage, be regular, be consistent and add value. When you add value, everything else always follows. Gosh, I love hearing that. You know, the fact that you had, you know, from the, the LinkedIn point, sorry, LinkedIn 2.0 version, and then it's taken you to like, let's take the suit out and kind of just, you know, start sharing about ourselves to kind of show who we are. And yeah. honestly, like, I think who we are is far more important than what we are. Because totally. what we are is the job, right? Is the business. I think that yeah, who we yeah. are, right? Like, I think LinkedIn is a place, like, I, I 1,000%, like, LinkedIn is a very, very useful platform if used right. 100%. And, and you know, another thing to echo your point is, you know, I, last, I, I record three episodes on my show every Thursday, and, and, and the majority of the people are from LinkedIn, and I'm getting my systems together. Nothing's perfect. My, you know, my admin now is setting up the scheduling and taking people's bios and their headshots and scheduling them. So last Thursday, it's one o'clock. I'm interviewing, uh, who was it? I'm interviewing Andrea Esty in the studio and my phone is blowing up and I'm like, oh man, why is somebody calling me a hundred times when I'm on the air? So at 1.18, when my show was over, I pull out my phone and this guy is like, Dan, I'm in the parking lot and I'm leaving. He says, you know, Dan, I'm in the parking lot and I'm leaving unless, you know, unless you pick up. So I quickly text him and I realized I double booked. So I've got Hutch the Marine Investor in Hawaii and I've got David Rabior who I work with here in Detroit in the parking lot. So I thought fast on my feet and I said, you know what? We're all doing an episode together. And at 120, they both were on the show and I admitted it, I told people, I said, I made a mistake. I, I take responsibility for it and look at what happened. These two people are literally trying to do deals together on my show because of that. And people love that. They love seeing authenticity. They love when, when somebody's calling you on a, on a Zoom call or on a podcast and you click over and you have to come back. Because today, especially in 2020 in the pandemic world, nothing is perfect. Right? Nothing Nothing's is perfect. perfect. Just be yourself, be real, be good to people. And, and it doesn't matter if you mess up. It's better to try and succeed than sit back and do nothing for fear of failure. But there will be some people that may not accept that. And so- Right. So they're not on this, they're not with us. They're not right. doing deals with us. Right. And and that's really, exactly. And I think that's where we need to know, you know, the temperament of networking on LinkedIn as well. And and that's what Dave and I were chatting about before this, you know, like there's there's gonna be, you know, times where you're trying to network and, and you know, people are not uh, how do you say it, I'm not interested kind of message. So it's really knowing how to sit through that. So David, take us through some of your lessons that you learned. Oh, so I've learned that, you know, with the DMs that, you know, it just really depends on the person that you're reaching out to. Some people respond better through direct messaging, some people through email, some people through a phone call. It's just really, you know, probably you have to triangulate the approach to find out which one they'll be responsive. Uh, I'll use case in point. There's a person, I have an office space for sale in Chicago. And normally I don't do office, but COVID made me pivot a little bit. And I hadn't got a, as much activity, excuse the lights, um, activity on it as I liked. And I had someone who's interested in it. And I reached out a couple of times via email, hadn't got a response, had to reach out through phone, hadn't got a response. And then I think I messaged him through LinkedIn and he finally got back to me. So it's just really trying to find the approach that works best to be able Looks to like connect people on LinkedIn um, to, you know, so I think that's really key. And not to pitch somebody right when you connect with them, just see maybe how they can, you potentially be of value or help each other um, before just going and say, hey, I got this for sale. This is my product. This is my business. Yeah, absolutely. That's the same thing as add value and everything else follows. If somebody's going to send me a DM that's 10 paragraphs long or a link to schedule something, and sell me something before they even get to know me as a person, I'm not interested, right? I get hundreds of DMs a day. If you've got value or if I, I see you engaging in the content, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you. But I think it's, it's really important to get to know the person first and to build the relationship and then do business. Because without the relationship and without trust, there's no business. And you have to go through all of these steps anyway before you build the initial rapport and trust. So somehow, did we oh, lose 100%. you? 100%. No, no, no. I was trying to turn back on the lights. 
the lighting had popped. But yeah, I mean, the, the taking the steps, I think building that initial rapport. Um, now, from your experience, have you guys had a lot of prejudgments happen to you? You know, like, I don't really want to, like, oh, you're, you're pitching or, because I've made some mistakes. I, I, don't, I don't pitch, number one. Number yeah. one. Mistakes meaning, like, I, you know, tried to kind of, uh, how do you say, assume that it's, yeah. it's a certain thing. And, and I really don't want to be that type of person. Um, yeah. So I've kind of changed that up in the past, you know, five, six months. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine like seeing your DMs guys, like you guys, because yeah. you're brokers, right? So, yeah. you know, that's a whole different world, right? Be compared to being an entrepreneur and investor, right? Because brokers, you have to answer questions. You have to be available for those things. So, um, you know, identify some of those things that maybe people like me need to understand in a broker's life. You know, what yeah. are the, the things we should not assume, David, right? that we, we can't, you know, prejudge, Dan, like, take us through that. Because here's the thing, right? Like, I had this discussion maybe a couple of weeks ago. The saying goes, you have to kiss a lot of frogs to even find the best deals. Yeah. Right? David can relate, because I think I mentioned that to you, too. You have to kiss a lot of frogs to get the best deals or even get in a, a conversation circle with such fill in the blanks. Yeah. So take us through the broker's life in no particular order. Jump in. Okay, so in terms of preconceived notions, I've been accused of being a lawyer three times in the last week. <laughs> Maybe you should be a lawyer. <laughs> no, what happened was I was on Stephen Wallace, and I, God bless Stephen oh, Wallace, I love him. I was on his uh, Lawyers Are Human 2 podcast, and I had a guy that's very active on my feed. He posted a post with my picture and my, my, my link to my profile, and he said, like, Dan Lukowitz, incredible triple net broker, and he's also a lawyer, too. And I was like, what the heck? But uh, no, it's just a joke. I, I was accused of being a lawyer three times this, this last week. But um, in terms of preconceived notions and, and, and challenges, I'll say like I run my business a lot differently than a lot of brokers do. But like be respectful of my time. You know, I'm a very busy guy. You can ask anybody who I interact with in the day-to-day, -day, you know, face-to-face -face world. I'm on my phone all the time and, and I'm constantly busy. You know, I have literally hundreds of messages to respond to every day. And if you're a serious buyer or you're a serious seller, I will work harder for you than anybody in the world. And I can honestly say that even only because David is in a different market and a different asset class, but I will honestly work harder than, than, than anybody. But, but be respectful of my time and, and don't think that I'm coming to you for a listing. Don't think I'm coming to you. Don't have a preconceived notion that I'm selling anything because my mentality is, I'll say this over and over again, I add value. I connect people. I help. I'm passionate about doing business with good people. So if I'm coming to you, it's because I want to get to know you and build a relationship. If we do business, great. If not, that's okay too. So the number one preconceived notion I would tell people not to have about Dan Lukowitz is that I'm hustling for your business or that I'm selling you anything because I'm not. I'm adding value and I'm building relationships. Good points. Good points. There's nothing wrong in hustling either. Yeah. It's the entrepreneurial version, right? But I, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are scared to work with brokers. From, from why why is that though what's so Good intimidating about yeah I, I have no clue I'm, I'm trying to understand it myself go ahead david so reed bennett i don't know if you know him dan but reed bennett is a uh, commercial real estate broker that's based in the chicagoland area with svn and one day he provided like a synopsis of a scenario where somebody went and bought it you know tried to sell a deal off market and this is just kind of through that point but they ended up leaving a lot of money on the table he kind of did like a case study of selling a deal off market versus selling a deal on market. So from a seller's perspective, it definitely makes the most sense in the world to work with somebody on market. I mean, working off market in many cases, the people who are going to come to you are the people who are looking for, you know, opportunity or yield, you know, on market, you end up creating a lot more opportunities, a lot more exposure um, for yourself. So that's the one thing I say, which is kind of a misconception, I think, for a lot of people who own, you know, commercial real estate, thinking that off-market is going to bring a better return. Um, it, it, it really, it, to, it, it, with limit, with, unless that broker says, you know what, I got a huge personal database, then that's a different conversation. But I think- Or you're dealing with a private seller who, for whatever reason, wants it off-market. And in my cases, and it might be different, your industry to mine, but in many cases, the off-market is the new market. You know what I mean? So it really depends, honestly. 
Yeah, it, it you know it it definitely depends, but it also can be a thing where is it you know it's, it'll it'll determine whether the prices you know make sense or not. And I think if you have if you're ambitious on your pricing, I think it's important to have as many eyes on it as possible. Yes. You know, versus if you you know if you want to just get rid of the thing and you want to do it quietly, I think that's a different conversation. And of course, off market would make sense. But if you want market or above market rate, it is incumbent upon you, it's imperative to have as many eyes on it as possible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so. so treat your brokers treat your brokers right right i mean treat your brokers right meaning if you're going to be a buyer you know it, buyers have no obligation to work with only one broker but what i will tell you is if i if i show you 10 deals and then you end up just doing it with 10 other brokers 10 times i'm not I, that's one of the reasons i don't do much buyer rep I'm, I'm a hungry listing broker who likes to list i'll work with my clients to help them buy but again the same thing like be respectful of everyone's time, especially a broker's time, because at the end of the day, and David, I'm sure will echo this, we're very valuable because we will get you a deal for less than you would get it elsewhere. And we will sell you a deal. We will sell your deal for more than you'd sell it elsewhere. So be respectful of that. We're, we're a commodity. You know what I mean? And we've got, we've got people lining up at our doors to work with us. So just, you know, we're respectful of your time and your, your, your energy and you as a person and your capital, be respectful of ours as well. Especially if the brokers are nice. Because there are the not so nice. So yeah. maybe that's yeah. the, the quote, right? Like you got to kiss a lot of frogs, meaning you got to sift through that and find that alignment, you know, who you want to work with. So my yeah, question yeah. to David, going back to your little, uh, you know, snap on that, um, you know, do you think it's a leverage play, whether it's off market or? Of course it is. I mean, it's a lead magnet. I mean, I'll see you like on, you know, real estate investor pages on Facebook. I have this, you know, off market deal and you'll see 20 people sending emails for it. I mean, it's whether exactly no one even asks if that person is direct to principal or not. Then that's something you have to follow up and ask later. Um, because yes. there are a lot of people shopping other people's deals is, you know, being, you know, as being having an exclusive on it or having direct to principal. That's not always the it, case. That's not legal anymore in residential space. It's very interesting. In the residential space, if you take something to social media, you at least in Michigan, you have to put it on the MLS within a certain number of days and you have to list it. Uh, in the commercial space, it's very different because we're much less regulated. But I think you have a great point. A lot of people throw things off market that are fake just to build lists. And that's not providing value. That's fake. That's not authentic. That's not how we roll. Yeah. And I agree. <laughs> I, see, I see a lot of that in, in many groups, you know, like those real estate group, you know. I, Swipe I just, left. Exactly. Swipe exactly. Left. I think it's all um, the bait, the baiting in. So take us through the second part of, of being a broker and a broker's life. Doesn't matter what, you know, asset class. It's more like, how do we as investors, as potential clients to you, what is the best way to approach you if we are asking questions and kind of, you know, gauging, like, do we want to work with David or Dan for this particular project? Yeah. Um, take Be up front. Back, you know. Be up front. Tell us what you want. Like, tell us what your goal is. If you're here just for information, tell us. I'll gladly give you all the information I have. I just want to know up front what my expectations should be of the relationship. And, you know, be, be, be transparent, be yourself, and tell us what your goals are. I mean, if your goals are to acquire a $2 million property, tell us that. If your goals are to buy a $50 million portfolio, tell us that. Most brokers are not going to discriminate based on your, your cost, you know, your, your needs. Your They're going to want to know. They're going to want to know where you're at and work with you there. So I would say, like, you know, be transparent, be authentic, be honest. Same things I said before. And be upfront with what you want. And then, you know, again, value our time. We value your time. And, and let us know what you're really looking to do. And then, you know, I would say, like, if you really want to get my attention, dangle some listings in front of me. You know, tell me, hey, I'm looking to buy, but I also have these 50. I'm serious. I'm just being right, honest. Right, yeah. Tell me you've got 15 properties. And if you're seriously considering listing them, give me a little bit of information about it. And don't be shy. Like, as a broker, I put out probably 100 proposals a year um, for, for sellers, many of whom I know are not going to sell. But I do that to add value. So if you have a property... Don't think that you're wasting my time by asking for a broker opinion of value. But at the same time, understand that I'm going to invest between $250 and $1,000 in every one of those broker opinions of values between my admin costs, my marketing costs, my drone photo costs, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to do that for you because I'm providing a service, but I want to do that for you. So, so I think that it's like any, uh, any healthy relationship. Have open communication, be upfront and honest. And, um, and let me know how I can add value to you and also how you can add value to me. So it's not too brash when 
they send you an email and say, hey, Dan, hey, David, this is what I'm looking for. Or, or do you want them to say, hey, I just want to let you know, like kind of soften, break the ice first? Say that again? Like, like, is it too brash? Say, to say like, that again, I'm sorry? Or is it, is it too brash? Like if they were to email you and say, hey, you know what, Dan, I'm looking for this, da 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 da, da et cetera. Or do you want them to warm up first? Hmm. No, I, at this point in my career, if you just send me a, a message or a one-line email saying, I have this or I want this. I mean, I've got people that literally just send me, hey, Dan, here's the address, 123 Main Street. Here's the lease. Tell me what it's worth. And that, for me, honestly, like I love building the relationship, but just that's going to catch my attention. I'm going to get my admins on it. We're going to get you a proposal. We'll build a relationship. You know, there, there's, there's, for me, there's not a need to, to warm that up because it'll warm up every time we talk. You know what I'm saying? I just want to know where it's going. I'd rather do that than somebody start to ask me about my favorite movie or how long I've been playing guitar or this or that and then go nowhere. You know what I mean? So kind of like what David said earlier. That's why I said the word to the point. Because that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. 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 So it's what, like dating. So, are, you, are you looking to get married? Are you looking to have kids? Are you looking to move here? Like, <laughs> I, I don't want the fluff. I want to go straight. I want to go straight down to, to, to the point. You know what I mean? And, and then go from there. Question, Jonah, are you asking that question because you've come up, you've, you've got the idea that you've come off too abrasive or too direct to some brokers? Is that, I'm just trying to make sure I understand. Yeah, you know, because I've, I've heard stories from, from, you know, regular people. They don't have to be investors. I hear stories like, oh, I'm so scared to approach a broker. I just never know what they're going to say. Do I go and email them? So it, it, I know it sounds so newbie, but it's interesting to see your world, right? Because I'm not a broker, right? I'm a business. So it's a whole you new be. language, right? It's a whole, you should be a broker. I should, I should. But you know what I mean? Like when you're running a business and you have the marketing side and the sales, it's still a different approach to kind of pre-educate, I guess, um, your potential clients versus when you're looking for deals and you're having to connect with a broker like yourselves, guys. So, mm -hmm. you know, taking that prejudgment or assumption and making them feel confident to say, I'm going to go send an email or a message to David. But at the same time, it's kind of vice versa too, because sometimes they ghost you. Yeah. Right? You get do, all do you see that? I've never, I, I, people say that all the time about brokers. I don't know about you, David. I've never ghosted a single person. I, nope. I don't understand how any broker can do that. It's, nope. happened, it's happened to me. I know. I hear about it every day. But yeah. listen, that's why David, guys like David and I get the listings, because other brokers are ghosting. All right. They're asleep. I, I, think, on the, I think that's probably more on the buyer side if I had to put, yeah. I had to put my finger on it. Or is it because they're judging you, like you said, Dan, you know, about... Yeah, because, well, look, if somebody, uh, it's very important because I've got limited time, right? I want to, I'm, I'm profiling you more than you're profiling me, right? Mm. When somebody reaches out to me and I have any concerns, first thing I do is ask people, I go on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is my best tool ever, right? I start seeing, are they real or not? And, and I'm, I'm profiling you because I don't want to waste the time and the energy. I want to be on to the next person that I'm going to actually have a successful, productive, fruitful um, you know, mutually beneficial relationship with. Right. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you asking those questions. I'm sure David does too, because, you know, as brokers, we're sensitive animals, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like we, we appreciate when other people, they don't see that people that are right. So I'm glad you guys are talking about this because I think it's a, it's a, a great eye opener. Now that I'm diving into more of the, the real estate investing, looking for off market deals, working with people that, you know, may have insights that I don't know, or someone like me don't know. So it's well, one. I tell you one more thing. Go ahead. Yeah. If you're a seller, if you're a seller, get your books and records in order first. Yeah. Send yes. me your P&Ls <laughs> and your rentals. Yeah. And like have 100%. Them, have, <laughs> have you know, all like, the information sense yeah but and have it like i can't tell you how many people where i get so excited when I, and early in my career i get so excited about a, a, a huge plaza i was gonna list and then the guy would be like yeah i'm gonna have my accountant get in touch with you accountant would send me the books and records with a little email a little note in the email saying this is the p l this is the rent roll but we've got about ninety seven thousand four hundred thirty two dollars that we collect in cash every year and i'm like well <laughs> shoot like <laughs> no, but seriously, I had that happen like five times in the last two years. And how many, I, at that point, I got to say, you know what? Appreciate you. I can't do it because it's not, if it's not in the books and it's not something I can verify, I can't cap that income. So have your, have your books like right. Or, or if you don't have them right, tell me that straight up and I will help you. You know, I'll go through your P&L because what your accountant has as your P&L for tax purposes is often not going to be a P&L for 
cap capitalization rate purposes because there's a lot of things that are not um, you know factorable into the the, the 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 bottom line and your net operating income when capping a building. So just again, be straightforward, be transparent, and be clear, and, and make sure that you know you're above board with with your financial docs because at the end of the day, my name's on on the line if I'm telling somebody about your income on your books and records and what your property is worth. So I'm relying on you as much as you're relying on me. Yeah. What's your take on that, David? No, I mean, that's really important. I mean, that make, because the thing is these, whatever investment is, whether it's an apartment building, whether it's office, whether it's retail, whether it's industrial, it, when you are creating, you know, the financials for it, that's what people are buying up. They're buying off their cash flow. I mean, that's the difference between commercial real estate and residential real estate is you're buying it based upon its current cash flow in a lot of cases, not even its pro forma cash flow. So yeah, if you don't have that information at the ready, it makes our, my job and Dan's job a lot more difficult um, to yes. be able to sell your property. Yeah. Can brokers help with pre-due diligence or is that an added feature or benefit when you're working with your clients? You're talking about like during the deal, can we help them with yeah, the like due diligence? Yeah, like pre-due diligence, meaning like, you know, like you're saying, get all that stuff aligned, the financials, you know, making so, sure. So if I'm repping a seller, yeah, certainly I'll help you get your books and records in order. If, if, if there's a deal going on on the listing agent, it's my job to, you know, right. hand over books and records and, and due diligence documents at whatever point I feel comfortable, whatever point our contract allows. Um, and if I'm repping a buyer, you know, certainly... I think that that's another thing that I'll, like I hold, I don't know about you, David, but when I have a listing, I hold the due diligence docs very closely. And I like to make sure that I have serious buyers and that we have accepted letters of intent before I release things, even like leases, because I need to weed people out. Because the last thing I want to do is put a lot of offers in front of my seller that are phantom offers or fake offers or rogue offers or, or, you know, you know, low ball offers or retrade offers where somebody's going to offer 5 million and then come back and do diligence and say, no, we'll do 4,250,000. So yeah, the, an the answer is yes. It's just got to be done properly. Like as a buyer, don't, you know, I can tell immediately when I'm working with an inexperienced buyer or a buyer that's not serious because they want to do like all the due diligence before they even want to write an offer. And it's like, that's not how it works. And that's not how it works in this market for certain. Oh my gosh. Thank you for pointing that out. Cause I literally had this come up as a topic. It was a conversation topic. And one of the, anyway, don't want to name, but it's within this circle and it's really, it's really interesting because they basically said to me directly, you know, I may have a thousand more questions. And I said, listen, you know, there's certain steps of etiquette before yeah. the actual seller wants to provide that. You, you have the OM already. So where do you guys put the, the value on this offering memorandum information per se, you know, it's to the, give it to a potential it's the most, my offering. Well, should be when, enough. I a, well, well, when I do a proposal for a seller, I'm giving them an offering memorandum before I even have a listing agreement and saying, this is what I think your building's worth. And this is the marketing material I'm going to take to market. And when a buyer or a buyer's rep calls me, I say, I know you want to list a lease right now, but look at page three, four, five, six. It's, it's verbatim every line from the lease. This is a representation of the PL, of the rent roll, of the lease, of everything right here in your hands. And then if you have a broker that's at all misrepresenting anything in the deal intentionally or has anything in the offering memorandum that's at, at all misleading or incorrect, that's a sign that that's not a broker you want to work with. The offering memorandum should literally be a concise description of every aspect of the deal, period. Thank you for saying that. Seriously, I, a thousand percent on that. What about you, David? I mean, I agree, but what I've learned in my experience is that multifamily is putting lipstick on a pig. So oh, yeah. We're really, it's, I mean, it's, it's about, I mean, it's all about from the sales side, it's all about, you know, selling the upside, selling the pro forma, not necessarily. And from an investor side, it's, and from an investor side, of course, it's about the actual numbers, about the actual performance. I think that ultimately a lot of reason why the, why deals get done is because when you have a buyer or who has a you know extenuating circumstance in which case it's a 1031 where they have to place their capital somewhere and if you're beating out and if you have that motivation of course you're going to be beat out buyers who are going to be a little bit who are going to be more you know scrupulous on their on the financials so i think that's really what it kind of comes down to but you know with multifamily it's you know, a lot of the upside is sold versus the, you know, current performance. Let me ask you a question. Can I, ask, can I Jonah, can I ask a question to David? Sure, absolutely. 
why are you multifamily brokers so into that pro nonsense, pro forma, whatever pro you want to call it? Pro forma, yeah. Pro forma, we get so without it. I mean, like, I, 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 like less, I mean, within this, I mean, since the last, what, 2016, 2017, oh, excuse the lights again. Um, but since 2016, 2017, I mean, the market has been on the upswing across the country until COVID. Um, and I think a lot of times if you were buying based upon the current numbers for a lot of investors, it wouldn't make sense. So you have to be able to sell the upside. You have to be able to say, this is the reason why, you know, I know this building's only getting a thousand dollars a month, but market rate rents are 12 or 1300, you know, that gives you an extra, whatever it is, 800 to $2,000 a month in income that's not being realized. That's the way these buildings to get sold is based upon a lot of kids based upon performing, not on actual financials. Yeah, I mean, as an investor myself, I never buy something based on future value. If there's an upside potential, I might add a little bit at a discount. But and this is why I think you all should buy net lease is because when we look at things, there's no pro forma. It is what it is. And if we're going to show you escalations in rent, it's going to be built in contractual rental escalations that are in the lease. So it's not like a maybe, or it's not like a, if there's no market correction, correction, it's like, hey, the rental rate is $290,000 a year. And there's 3% annual escalations every single year at this date, period. Nice. Cut, dry, no poor forma, no nonsense, no lipstick on no pigs. We sell pigs, but we keep the lipstick <laughs> off. I, I don't know, because the lipstick has a different value in another person. What's that value, though? I mean, what's that value? It's just lipstick. There's still a pig. You know what I mean? So is it about the lipstick, the, the person that holds the lipstick, or is it about what they're looking at? No, it's about being honest. It's about saying this is a pig and therefore you're going to buy the pig at a higher cap rate because it's a pig. Or it's saying this is, you know, a beautiful stallion or a Clydesdale that needs no lipstick because it's gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? It's about being transparent. Yeah. What I'm seeing on this end is, I don't know, investors are putting, I don't know if it's a newbie thing. I don't know if it's arrogance chip on the shoulder. But a lot of my discussions in my little circle, and I, I say that with, with you know, my humble opinion only, is that if you're playing small, they're always going to make a fuss about whatever that is, lipstick on a pig or just a pig. And if you're a big player, it's a whole new ballgame of conversation. So yeah, totally get what you're saying. Um, that's sorry, that's I, another I, thing, too, is that I, I just thinking, as you said that, I appreciate you bringing that up. Here's another piece of advice. As, a, as, a, as a, an investor who's trying to be, make relationships with a broker and an investor is trying to grow, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are like, Dan, you showed me this deal and it's at a seven and a quarter cap, right? A seven and a quarter percent return. I really want something that's at least a seven and a half percent return. Or this is at a seven, seven, five, I need an eight. <laughs> and I look at them and I say, can I ask you something? If you want me to give you an extra quarter percent of return for something with way more risk, I'll go find it. But in today's market, Aside from the multi-tenant, you know, debacle that's going on with all these vacancies and all this stuff going on, but anything above, you know, I don't want to say exact number, but if you're above an eight, eight and a half cap, there's going to be a lot of hair on the deal or a lot of wrinkles in the lease. And if you want to play ball in that court, that's okay. But just understand that that extra quarter percent comes with it inherent risk. So keep that open mind. When a broker is telling you that, at least when I'm telling you that, it's not because I want to sell you a deal at a lower cap rate. It's because I want you as a happy investor to have a relationship and to be successful. And I know based on my experience that going up a quarter cap for a lot more risk is, is rarely worth it. Yeah, no, agree. And I think that's the case, especially even in the multifamily space where you'll get people that say, oh, I'm looking for a 10 cap or I'm looking for a 12 cap. And I'm like, to achieve <laughs> that and not based upon a performer, you're going to you know, have to take a deal with a lot more here on it to attend you're going to go into a more destabilized asset. You're gonna to have to do a lot more heavy lifting. It's gonna be a management intensive. It's gonna require heavy value add. And you just really have to, one, expect a more projected whole, um, stabilization period as well. So when you're, when even when you're doing your numbers and you're buying something that at, at a 10 cap or a 12 cap, you know, to get that property fully stabilized, it may take you a year, a year and a half. So your true return is going to be delayed for you to get to that point. So if you yeah. buy something that's a stabilized asset and you buy it at a seven or you know a seven cap or even under, you're going to be in a situation where one, you realize cash flow from day one versus buying something that may end up 
a uh, you know end up a ten or twelve cap, but you got to wait eighteen months for it, and you got to yeah. fight harder to you know to make to keep the vacancies down as well, because markets where they tend to have higher cap rates tend to have higher issues with vacancy in a lot of cases as well, um, you know. So I think that's some important things to factor in. Is you know that yield worth the risk as well? You know, I appreciated that because even in one of your posts, David, you know, um, and I know there was a, a trail of uh, engagement there, you know, let's go to the topic of where do you both see this whole commercial, industrial, multifamily market because we're going through this pandemic right now and all the talk that's happening in Wall Street and interest being so low right now, which again, it's, it's kind of like what uncertainties um and i know you're both in different markets but but let's just talk in general about you know what's happening here nationwide yeah so there's a flight to quality um right now we saw all of the capital that was out in the markets 9 10 12 18 24 months ago that was diversified even in the net lease sector itself you know is broken up to industrial fulfillment centers cold storage quick service restaurant casual dining pharmacy, automotive, um, in, in other forms of industrial, medical, multi-tenant, et cetera, et cetera. When the pandemic hit and we had this, this lockdown and essential, essential retailers were allowed to stay open, we saw this narrowing of, of a similar amount of capital into very specific asset classes of the essential net lease products. So there was a real big flight to, to not only quality, but to tenants that were open and paying rent. So we're, I don't think that for a number of years, we're ever going to go back to that um, level of comfort that net lease investors had in assets that either A, might not be open or B, might not be paying rent or both. Right. So I see things like industrial cold storage and industrial fulfillment centers, which I'm very fond of. I'm, I have a background as an Amazon business development manager. And I, I, I call this the, the industrial revolution 2.0, if you will, where products are flying off of retail shelves and into warehouses. So I think that we're going to continue to see cap rates uh, on those products decline and, and those trophy assets will become more and more valuable and more and more desirable. I think that, you know, your automotive supply uh, places, I just sold a, a property in Miami, a tire kingdom. Those are very popular. I think that quick service restaurant being that the, the costs per meal are relatively low, being that most of the concepts have drive-throughs, and being that, oddly enough, in 2021, almost every major quick service restaurant provider and franchisee is rolling out a new smaller prototype, smaller footprint with multiple drive-through lanes and, and like a contactless or frictionless uh, experience, being that that's the case, those assets are going to continue to be popular. Cap rates are going to continue to be in the low, you know, low fives for some assets, we're selling McDonald's in the, in the high three caps and Chick-fil-A's in the high threes, low fours. It's insane. You know, in, in addition, I think you're going to see a lot of sale leasebacks in the medical space. I think that you have major hospital systems that are bleeding money, but they're essential in nature and they're going to start selling their buildings and maintaining the operations. So you'll see a lot of sale leasebacks. And I think that we're going to just see a really big what I call a retail right sizing. You know, the big 40, 60, 80,000 square foot box of yesteryear is no longer nearly as, as essential or necessary. And I think that we're just going to see a much more um, experiential retail experience where people are going to go and do things at these places because we're going to see, you know, a, a proliferation of this. I talked about it yesterday on my show, this omni-channel fulfillment where you've got a synergy between e-commerce, retail, experiential retail all in one. And, and I, I just think that it's really important to, to note that as we see uh, the equities markets continue to yo-yo, and, and they're going to yo-yo even more in my prediction, you know, over the next coming, coming weeks and months with the election, um, the, the flight to quality is going to be even more important. People are always going to love the net lease sector. And at the same time, we need to focus on what are the types of stores that we're going to frequent and that we're going to need and that the government and the states are going to allow to stay open and stay paying rent during a potential shutdown. Totally see that. Totally see that. And I think it'll affect where the multifamily investing happens too, because, you know, the housing market, you know, all of the, the mortgage and, and the delinquencies happening, it's driving that. Yeah. And so, there's, there's big, there's big opportunity in multifamily. This is where we started. I know David and, and, uh, and I were kind of getting going toe to toe on some of your posts and other people's posts, you know, being that the SBA 
And David and I talked about this the other day uh, offline, but being that the SBA has officially their six month moratorium on, you know, the abatement, I should say, on mortgage payments really expired uh, September 27th. And there are still eviction moratoriums and then rental deferment programs all across the country. That, that, that 90 and 120 day mark where we really see owners starting to, to, to get, to get antsy and, and, and banks starting to foreclose potentially, that's coming up, you know, in, in another 60 to, 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 to 80 days. So I think that there's a tremendous wave of opportunity that's coming in the multifamily space after probably 13 plus years of, of appreciation, not only in rents, which typically occurs anyway, regardless of the price of the asset, regardless of the, the economy, which is great, but, but more importantly, in terms of prices. So I would say like anybody who's looking at multifamily, you know, go to Home Depot, stock up on your five gallon buckets because it's going to be a bloodbath. You can literally just start walking around and blood pouring from everywhere, catching these deals all over the place. And I, I mean, that. I, I think that, that there's really, you know, a wave of opportunity coming and we're going to see guys like David are going to get really, really busy because people are going to start liquidating their assets really quickly. And, and, and David, your take, because I know in Los Angeles, we're in a different market. So yeah, um, I hope that Dan is right. I think that it really yeah, is. He is right. Huh? <laughs> Thank he's you. Right. He's right. You gotta. He, he's right. So you're gonna be busy. I, you know, well, yeah. No, 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 no. On that, but I mean, it's just as far as kind of the market activity. Oh, I see. I yeah. think that, it, but I also think that it's market specific, and I think that it's to be, you have to be conscientious about you know, making generalizations to a certain extent about markets, because there are certain markets that are going to still continue to thrive and prevail. I was on the phone with, um, I think I, I think I mentioned uh, the other day, I was on the phone with Chabuzer Naji, who's kind of like one of the biggest multifamily brokers in Dallas the other day. And Dallas is one of the few places in the market, where, in, the, in the country, where you have positive rent growth, where you have people moving into Dallas-Fort Worth in thousands, despite it being COVID. You have the same thing happening in the Phoenix. Look in Florida. Look at Florida. Yeah. Uh, almost a thousand people a day are emigrating to Florida every single day. It's inc it's incredible. Yeah. That and then also with Phoenix. I mean, everyone. And California. Everybody's leaving California and going to the border states. Well, yeah. I was going to say they're leaving. But if you agree with me, David, and if you don't, that's okay too. What I'm seeing is the, the rental market won't change. It, it's still going to be in demand. So for multifamily investors, there's still an opportunity for them to, you know, to nab a deal or somehow put their money to work and, and you know, get in the market. So, so a lot of people say it's too expensive. So California is its own. I think what a lot of people need to understand is California is its own ecosystem. So ultimately what ends up happening in California, just kind of based upon what my experience is that there's been a mic and I posted on LinkedIn about it yesterday. There's been a migration further east. I mean, there's been a migration more into San Bernardino. There's been a, into Riverside County um, and in the Empire in general. That's where been a lot of the largest, you know, net migration has been for tenants who have been priced out of the Los Angeles metro area and further to theirs because it's cheaper. So I think you'll have a continuation of that happening. Um, and then also, it's really hard, and I'm sure that after the eviction moratorium is really when you're going to see the, the true, you know, fallout. I think a lot of, I think really with, totally. Yeah. And I think with the blood, you know, with the potential blood bath, it, blood, blood bath, I think it really matters on how leveraged someone is. I think it's a case by case basis. If you bought within the last three or four years and you don't have, you know, and you don't have good management and you didn't have a value. Or cash reserves. Cash reserves. Yeah, you're in bad shape. But if you bought during the economic down, the last economic downturn, or if you bought further back, you're in a different scenario. I mean, you, you're, you're, you know, the amount of tenancy performing to be able to meet your debt service and your, you know, property management fees is going to be less than someone who just bought in 2017, 2018, 2019, um, you know, or even this year. So I think it's really, you know, it's going to be situation specific as far as who's going to hurt the most. I think that's really something to keep in mind. Or how and, well you know, you're, you're right. The thing is that I want everyone to keep in mind is that your rental base is, is based primarily on the people and the type of people that live there and their jobs. And as California really struggles, in my opinion, to step up to the plate and play ball and companies like Tesla move thousands of people and, and billions of dollars outside of that state, 
you're going to see, you know, you're going to see a rental issue. And as companies like these major Silicon Valley, you know, fang stock like companies are now allowing people to work from anywhere, right? I don't need to live in Silicon Valley anymore. I can live in Detroit, Michigan, where the rent is 20% of what it is by you guys. And now guess what? I'm working for the same company or I'm working for a company that's in another state. I don't need to rent anymore. I don't need to pay $3,000 a month when I can pay $700 a month. You see what I'm saying? No, no, I think, I think that's very, I think that's very true. Um, I don't, the rent, so with like the, with the migration out of California, I think this past year, they showed it was like 60,000 people. There was a net loss of 60,000 people. That's and, that's right. out, and, that's, and that's out of 40 million people. So that's a drop in the bucket. So I think that ultimately it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, for 2021 or in January, 2021, when the migration patterns show what, how many people have moved out of yeah. Um, I think that'll be the real telltale sign of where California is um, just as far as population loss. But what I've noticed is that a lot of Californians and just being really recent new to the area have a lot of pride and, you know, just drive desire to live here. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of, you know, whether they have relationships with family, what, whatever it may be, the California, the love for, especially natives for California is a strong thing. It's, I think it's only, the only thing to compare it to is probably being in Texas, you know, like just kind of the, the connection to the actual state itself. Yeah, but the taxes are much lower there. <laughs> well, yeah, the taxes are lower, but I also, I mean, ultimately, I think for, but I'm just picking on you, David. I'm yeah, no. Or they moved to Vegas too. Or they move, or or the, or they move, or they move to Vegas, and yeah. I think that ultimately it just really just depends on how you're able to defer your taxes. I mean, as long as 1031 exchanges are around, I think people will still be in a place where they can afford to buy and sell real estate and trade. I think that if the 1031 goes away, it will provide be calamitous for a significant amount of investors. Um, no question. No question. And brokers do yeah. not get rid of the 1031. Do not yeah. do it. It's uh, it would be terrible for this country. You know, you gave me a migraine. You said those four <laughs> letters, numbers, 1031. I had a migraine. Right. Right. Well, I was going to say, this is exactly, like, this is why you come in to, to LinkedIn doing your, your, your upcoming live cast and talking about the market in California, because just to kind of conclude in this, because we can talk about this all day long, because it is such a broad thing right now. And, and just to conclude, because I know with Texas, everybody's sort of moving out of CA going there. It's, it's kind of like being posted on social media, you know, about the taxes and you can buy cheaper homes, blah, 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 et cetera. Grant Cardone closed the deal there somewhere in Dallas, right? Like he closed on, I don't know, some kind of 250 unit apartment that he syndicated. Dude, we're, we're looking at multifamily yep. and, and hotel hospitality conversions to veteran housing in DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth and Southern Florida. For, and much of it is because of those two reasons. Yes, and San Antonio is up and coming too. Because I was yeah. looking at that market like six months ago, but not on a multifamily. It was like, hey. But you got to be careful with the petrochemical market being, again, creating so many jobs and being that petrochemicals are not green friendly and being that the oil industry is being shaken up. I mean, that's just another, that's two more variables to think about. That's, that's so true. I mean, you know, with, with California being where it's at, you know, like you're saying, David, just to acknowledge that, a lot of people don't want to give up that. The weather, the beaches, you know, they're willing to pay the price, right? Rather than going to move to somewhere colder or, but Vegas though, I was just there and I can say to you, I am like, it doesn't feel like it's COVID. Like people, minus the, the wearing of masks, everybody was wearing that. But it feels like the energy is still there. Businesses are really? moving. And wow. again, you know, with the whole Raiders thing coming into, I mean, I'm sure Vegas is a whole new structure, you know, different from California. But I think, you know, to conclude on that, I think working with the right people like yourselves, you know, being an expert in your space, I think A, it's helpful. There's a lot of insight. B, the broker's life is like you're saying, you know, it, you add value. It's something that shouldn't be underestimated. Three, it doesn't really matter what market you're in. I think being able to, to go and see where the trend and, and what's happening with uh, amidst the COVID and hopefully post-COVID will end soon, but we don't know, Q1, Q2, we don't know. I just heard that schools are, are coming back to open in, in some areas of California. So that to me is like, wow, okay. I was there yesterday, and to your point, it's like Vegas. Right? 
So this is going to be an interesting take on multifamily, on housing, on migration and departures and what's going to happen to the other markets. And, and on that note, I heard as well that Texas, they're basically saying they're not really friendly with people coming in because they know with, you know, the politics and everything else, which we won't bring up because this is not what it's about. But when you tune in and you hear that stuff, it's, it's the psychology of it, Dan, right? You know, you're kind yeah. of like seeing where's everybody at in their mindset? You know, what are, what is it driving them to do that? Like to move and, and, and even take their money and hopefully it's going to work for them, that type of stuff. So I think, yeah. you know, the, we can all have our own opinions, but I think at the end of the day, it's really understanding what you want to do, right? As an investor, as a buyer, but also in this business of real estate, because it's 100%. such a complex. So, and then, no, I think you, you bring up a good point with, you know, collaboration and when people, people move because they seek opportunity or they are fleeing from something that is in their minds disadvantageous for them. And I think that what's important is that we have to understand that wherever we are, you know, it's like that famous quote is like, wherever I go, there I am, you know, and it's the same thing if we find ways to collaborate and work together in an advantageous manner, it doesn't really matter where we are because when we work together, we all bring our unique skill sets and flavors and experiences and wisdom to the table. And I think that nowhere else in my humble opinion, other than real estate is that abundance and collaborative mindset mentality present. And I think that's what this represents, right? We've got three people with three very different backgrounds, who have lived in, in many different places and, and bring a lot of different things to the table, we might not agree on certain things, right? But at the end of the day, you know, David will say something that I don't necessarily agree about, but then I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe right. he's right. And, and same, and Joan also same thing. So I think it's important that we recognize that as much as people think that, that there's so many differences, especially today, you know, at the end of the day, this is the greatest country in my opinion ever to exist. And we have an opportunity to work together. And two of the major liberties after freedom that we have in this country that they don't have everywhere, believe it or not, is the ability, the freedom and the support to own our own homes and to own our own businesses. And those two things together are something that we should not take lightly. And I think it's just really important to kind of take a moment to, to have gratitude for and thanks for and, 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 and recognize that through our own self-employment and through our own business ownership and, 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 and um, you know, business activity generation, we can do great things together in real estate investment. See, I think David is like letting us get to the point. He's saving all his, his uh, wisdom there for his upcoming, uh, you know. <laughs> no, go yeah. ahead. I'm, I'm kidding. No, I was just going to kind of speak to your initial point as far as people moving to other markets where it's maybe cheaper or better quality of living, but ne not necessarily being able to reconcile the politics or the culture that exists in those markets. And I can definitely see that being kind of an issue where Texas or even California is not a, you know, homogenous state as far as ideologies go. Like I said, I was having a conversation with some people that, you know, uh, yesterday in Orange County and they true and they clearly had different political beliefs that I did. But, you know, we were able to agree on some points as far as just kind of real estate. Um, which is kind of what brought us together in the first place. I think it's important is that you, you know, when you look for opportunities to other markets, you're just aware of the pros and cons in both cases. And if you're moving and if you're living in those states or you're moving to that state, just be willing to deal with the changes. Um, if you're moving from coastal California to inland Texas, you know, to Dallas, Fort Worth or somewhere where, yeah, the prices are going to be different, but the culture is going to be different and you have to be willing to sacrifice that. Or if you're investing in, we'll just say class A or B multifamily in California and you decide to invest in class B or C multifamily in Chicago, you're, you know, the yield will be better, but there are going to be different challenges that come with it. And I think that you should just be aware of those challenges and be willing to deal with them once you make that transition. That's, those are good points. And even to end with what Dan said, you know, we, we all can, can kind of, you know, launch our wealth in our own way, whether we're yeah. brokers, investors, or people that are trying to find where's our niche, where can we move? I think, you know, gratitude and definitely understanding that we all have that freedom to turn it around and make something of ourselves and make something of our current businesses. And, and, you know, my, my, my understanding is even if we are going through this political change and, you know, climate change, everything is changing around us. And I think it's really kind of putting ourselves together and saying, what are we good at? What can we do? 
and just really enhance that in, in the best possible way. And, and having LinkedIn, having your network, being able to consistently show up and engage, I really believe those are the tools to launch yourself in this you know, current scenario we're in and, and you know, not being able to make excuses. So on that note, I so appreciate this conversation. I think you know, we covered a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, um, relatable topics. So I think there's gonna be many more. So you guys are welcome to, to come on this podcast anytime. And so David, Dan, I thank you so much and uh, looking forward to seeing your work and Dan on top. You guys can find them on LinkedIn. Are you guys on That's Facebook, right. Instagram? As well, or uh, Instagram, yeah, I'm Dan Luke on Instagram, and uh, you know Dan Lukowitz on LinkedIn. Dan on top is our company hashtag. Not on Facebook, but you know maybe I should be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's a, it's a TikTok whole though. TikTok's where it's at too. I'm on TikTok. Dan Luke. That, on that's TikTok. what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. So with with David, he's definitely on LinkedIn. He's uh, I think he has his upcoming uh, good stuff uh, starting next week. So we can't wait. We can't wait to see that. So thank, thank, you, guys. thank you so much, guys. And there you have it. What a fun and engaging conversation with David and Dan, who are both professionals in their respective fields of commercial real estate and investment industries. As you can see, we are in this digital and social media decade. And it's so important as an entrepreneur, as a startup business, or if you're already in business, taking it to the next level, it is so key to get involved, to engage, and to really expand our reach on using LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and all of the social media platforms that we can use in order to become more equipped in this virtual remote world that we're all living in. After all, we all live in this ecosystem of networking, communicating, and using social media platforms to expand our reach. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to opening up more conversations like this as we continue going into 2021. And you will find us actively engaging on LinkedIn. And of course, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Launch And once again, thank you all so much for tuning in to all of my listeners around the world. And of course, my featured guests, for your collaboration and for sharing value and your insight. I am forever grateful because of that. We are here shaping, changing, and encouraging new ways to think about entrepreneurship, real estate business and industries, and of course, connecting and building new relationships that will support and take us to the next level. And more importantly, thank you LinkedIn, LinkedIn family, and my LinkedIn connections for always being there, engaging and sharing these opportunities with me. So until the next episode, I will see you on the inside.